and welcome to Adrian Has Issues. Today I'm speaking with, well, today is going to be really fun. Like, this all kind of got set up very quickly. A lot of my guests I try to talk to and correspond with at least a couple of weeks in advance. But there's just, every so often, like, I'll find somebody online that I'm like, okay, I need to have them on. I don't even know if the answer is going to be no. I figured, who could say no to me, right? <laughs> um, today I have the writer of the really, really awesome comic book, Flat Track Furies. I don't want to give it all away, but there's roller derby, there's monsters, there's ass-kicking, and I just picked this book up. It got sent to my house. This is the end of last week. Two pages in, I needed to have the writer and creator, and I just need to have her on the show because it's, it's amazing. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mariah Hummer. Mariah, how you doing? I'm excellent, especially after that intro. That was a pretty... Yeah, I got really... I, I it was weird because that's exactly how it happened. Like I think I might have even like sent you like a message on Twitter um, shortly after the book arrived in the mail, where I read the first two pages. And I think where was it around the fact that one of the characters was named Mina Fey? Yeah. And it's like I'm sold. I'm already with this <laughs> book, and I'm like I need to have you on the show. I haven't even finished this book. I don't even know how it's going to end. All I know is people need to know about this. So, gosh, where do you even start? Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun doing it. Um, it's my very first comic book, so I feel like there's a lot of things that I learned um, that I won't do next time, or that you know I will do next time, just because um, you know going going through the whole process, you definitely you know go through a lot of um, you know, mishaps and you make a lot of mistakes. So I'm really excited about this first one. And yes, there is a skater um, on the opposing team named Mina Fey. Um, Tina Fey is like one of my idols. So um, I had to put her in there somewhere. <laughs> so I guess we should probably start dancing around it, but we'll, I'll let you give like a nice little synopsis of what this book is about. Cause otherwise I'm going to just keep gushing about no, it's it. Okay. Um, so essentially the comic book, um, is about a team of roller derby ladies. Um, all of my characters are women. So it's, um, it's about four roller derby players. Um, and then we add a fifth at the end. Um, and yeah, essentially they, they protect their town, um, from weird monsters or kind of supernatural occurrences, um, that keep happening. Um, their town is called nuclear city. So that kind of gives you an idea of what kind of, um, what kind of mayhem ensues. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really fun. Um, all of their personalities are really different. Um, but they find that, you know, they can work together and grow together to, um, you know, just get closer and, and protect their town and play some derby while they're at it. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, we, I kind of like to compare it to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles a lot. Um, you know, but, but specifically catered towards a female audience or with female characters. Um, it's just, it's just a lot of fun and, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like an all ages type of comic book. Yeah, it was just really cool because um, how I found you out, I can't even remember who originally had retweeted your link when it was available, but it's just that, and I'm like, okay, roller derby, check, monsters, check, and it's like, all right, this just sounds fantastic. So obviously you come from a roller derby background yourself. Do you still currently play or is this... Yeah, no, I, I absolutely play. Um, I've played for about like three and a half, four years. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm playing derby all the time. And I actually think that that's the reason why the comic book um, took so long to do is because derby takes up a lot of time. You know, we have practice like two or three times a week and sometimes we bout on Saturdays. And so 
like my Monday evenings and my Thursday evenings are like completely full. You know, I can't like do anything because I'm doing roller derby. But um, but yeah, it's really fun. Um, it's really challenging. Um, I I got into it because my husband went to high school um, with this with this girl whose roller derby name is Amy Armalite, and she invited us to our first bout. Um, and I went and we just fell in love with it. Um, I just remember seeing like all of these badass chicks just being amazing on the track. I was like, I could never do that. And they were like, we'll teach you how to skate. Like, we'll teach you how to do it. Just come. And so, um, once my work schedule kind of cleared up a little bit, um, I started and I haven't looked back. That's actually something you just touched on. I think it's pretty fascinating where they're like, we'll teach you how to skate and they'll just kind of just bring you on. And that's something I think you actually sort of mentioned in the book itself. And that's kind of a really cool scene because you think about most sports, you know, being someone from maybe from the outside looking in, you know, you have to go through all these crazy hoops to kind of maybe play yourself. But to just have them be like, yeah, come on, we'll, you know, we'll teach you how to skate and we'll, you know, show you the rules. That's that's a really cool thing that you don't see a lot very often. Yeah, absolutely. It's Roller derby definitely lends itself to women that have never played a sport before, um, which is which is why it's you know it's something that that women just love to do is because you know if we haven't ever played a sport, then you know let's say we we try to go to you know the intramural soccer team or you know kind of try to do a pickup game at some point or another we we just kind of feel embarrassed and foolish because you know our bodies are not used to it we're not good at the sport. And I think that hinders a lot of women from doing sports or being athletic. Um, you know, once they get older, they kind of feel like they missed their shot. Um, but with with roller derby, it was like, yeah, um, you know, we'll come. You don't have to know how to skate. Um, we'll train you how to skate. Usually that takes about six months to get through, um, you know, just regular skating skills like start and stop. Right. And then you move on to derby skills. Um, and then after, you know, six to eight months, you start bouting and it's just, I don't know, you kind of come in and it's like a sisterhood and, you know, everybody's rooting for you and, and helping you out. So it's, it's definitely something that I would encourage, um, any woman to try out, especially if you haven't played sports before. That's really cool. Cause I know that we have one out here um, in Jersey whom I know they used to, um, advertise a lot of the roller girls, the Garden State roller girls and, I just was one of the things that, unfortunately, I don't, I mean, I know very, I'll admit, I know very little about actually how the game is necessarily played. I know there was actually a TV show where I know they did, like, a televised roller derby show, but um, I guess I can kind of give, like, a crash course at exactly how the game is played, because, well. Yeah, I mean, people, <laughs> people like me who are a little illiterate. Absolutely. Um, I think we actually had one of, um, one of the, one of the ladies from Garden State Roller Girls, um, she her name was Jersey Justice, and she moved to Colorado, so we got to skate with her for a while, and she's fantastic. She plays with a, the Denver team now. But, um, yeah, essentially roller derby um, consists of two teams. Um, on the track, you have five people from each team. So each team has four blockers, and they have one jammer. Um, the four blockers, um, well, I guess the eight blockers, um, together they make up the pack, and the pack is actually the only time that you can engage. You can engage like 10 feet behind the pack or 10 feet in front of the pack, but you can essentially only do hitting while you're inside that pack situation. Um, you have the two jammers. You have one jammer from each team and the jammers only job is to score points. So when the jam whistle starts, um, essentially what they do is they make their first pass. So you have, you know, four people trying to get you through the pack. You have four people trying to just annihilate you. 
And, uh, and the first pass just determines who the lead jammer is. Um, so if you, if you make it out of the pack first, um, your lead jammer, the only thing that that does is it means that you can call off the jam at any point in time, but you want that, you know, cause you can kind of control, um, the jam a little bit more. Um, and then every pass after that, for every opposing member that you pass, like their hips, um, you get one point. So yeah, essentially you just have people, um, you know, just trying to block the bejesus out of you. Uh, and then, you know, you also have like your teammates trying to help you out and stuff. So, um, so yeah, essentially that's how you score points. Jammers are usually like a lot faster and, you know, they juke around and they're really jumpy because they want to score those points and, um, blockers. I mean, everybody really comes in all shapes and sizes. Um, you know, if you're a blocker, you just kind of have to be sturdy on your skates. Um, but yeah, it's really cool. We've, we've kind of hit a point in Derby where people are doing crazy stuff. Like they're skating backwards on the track, um, to avoid certain things. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's kind of nuts now, but, um, but yeah, it's going to be even more nuts when all the junior Derby girls grow up and like take all of our spots. Cause they're just going to be, um, incredible, but, but yeah, that's how Derby is played. Um, usually like a, a point spread, if it's like two pretty, um, pretty even teams, the point spread will be between, you know, like 120, 150 points each. Um, just because, you know, you get a point for every hip that you pass in that jam and a jam is only two minutes long if the jammer doesn't exactly. call it off beforehand. So, um, yeah, it's kind of hard to explain <laughs> over audio. Usually, usually when people ask me how to explain it, I like draw little pictures for them and I'm like, this happens. <laughs> so they have like a little, a little sheet they have at the end. I'm like, okay, now study the sheet that I gave you and you can come watch a derby and enjoy it. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's really fun. It's really hard. Um, actually, just uh, last night we had practice, and I think I like rolled my ankle pretty bad. So, Ugh. so I'm I'm probably I might not skate on Thursday, or I might fall fine by Thursday. Um, but yeah, it's definitely full contact. Yeah, because I mean I have seen you know some footage of roller derby, and it's not that it's surprisingly physical, but it's. Still kind of astounding just how hard, you know, some of the hitting can be. Like, for as, as times, it almost feels like you're actually just watching hockey minus the sticks. Yeah, it, especially because you have that centrifugal force of the track. I mean, the track is an oval. And so, I mean, when you come from, like, the inside of the track to the outside, you can really get a lot of momentum. You can absolutely hurt somebody. Um, you know, I mean, there's certain things that aren't legal. Like, you can't, you know, you can't, like, punch somebody or, like, use your elbows um, we usually get a lot of that where people are like, yeah, you're going to punch somebody in the face. Right. And I'm like, no, what? <laughs> like why? That's, that's the worst. Well, yeah, no, like get out of here, psycho. I'm not a horrible person. Yeah. No, it's, um, I think a lot of people are used to the old roller derby of like the seventies. Um, or there is that bank track. Um, like, I don't know if you've seen whip it, but it's like, it's like that curved yeah. Yeah, track. Um, when they resurrected Derby in 2001 in Austin, Texas, it was a little bit more, like, fighty. Like, they would get into little fights, and it was, like, a little bit more... It was a little bit more, like, roller derby and wrestling together, um, but it's since kind of moved off of that into, into you know, a really athletic sport. So, yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if necessarily needs to be that free-for-all where people are quite literally punching each other in the face, so I, I guess it's a little more accessible that way. Yeah, I don't know if I would play the uh, <laughs> the 
I don't know. It, I, I feel like there kind of has to be at least a little bit of, um, you know, athleticism going on and, you know, rules, I guess. So, yeah. So given your background with roller derby, at what point, I guess, have you, did you decide, well, you know what? I enjoyed it so much. Like, I want to write a comic book about this. Well, I definitely wanted wanted to, to do a comic. Like, I've definitely wanted to, to draw comics for a long time. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't really sure like what story to do. And like, I, like, I don't know. I just, I just kind of felt like I need to just write something and I need to get it out there and, and just like get through all the hard stuff, you know? Um, my husband and I, I don't even remember like who thought of the idea or like when we thought of it. It's just, I, now I, I can't even like pinpoint the origin of it. I, we just, we just thought of, um, you know, the Furies and, you know, it just kind of took off from there. Um, you know, we just started, um, I, yeah, yeah. So I, I probably came up with all of the characters, um, but Paul definitely helps me write it and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I wrote the first issue and, um, it took me so long because I, I drew all of it and then I hated it and redrew the entire thing. Um, and that is like a no, no, don't ever do that. Um, I mean, don't put out something you hate, but just like draw it right the first time. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, I, I'd go through periods of time where like, I wouldn't work on it because I was like, I don't know what I want to do with these inks. Like, I don't know what I want to do with the color. And I would just kind of like mull it over for a long time or like, you know, work would take over or roller derby would take over. Um, so this one definitely took me a long time. Um, I'm hoping the second one though will take me like, you know, four or five months or something. Which speaking of which, the color scheme on this is fantastic, by the way. Oh, thanks. It's it's, it's really cool because I'm like obviously the color, you know, a lot of grays, a lot of pinks, but it's just something that just makes it very just that makes it pop. You know what I mean? As opposed to just using full color or going black and white. Like, that minimal use of color, I don't know, I think it just really, really makes the book pop. So, I mean, <laughs> to see that you mold over the, the color so well, and it's like, you know what, it was, it was well worth the struggle, at least on my end. Thank you. Yeah, that's good to hear, especially because um, I think I chose the black. I, I mean, I think I chose not doing a full color scheme because I'm just bad at coloring. Um, and I was like, <laughs> what am As I someone who took forever to color inside the lines as a kid, don't worry, I feel your pain. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was like, I was like, I don't know how to make it look, you know, super professional, you know, like, you, like you see the new Superman and the new Batman, and you're just like, how did they get these amazing colors? Like, how do you, how do you computer? Like, how do you do that? Um, <laughs> but I, I was just like, you know what? Like, let's let's just make it simple, you know, like, don't make it overly complicated. Don't sweat it. Um, I specifically chose the grayscale and the pink because black and pink is kind of like a nod to like the 2001, like old school way of Derby. Um, so, so, so Derby is, is kind of changing. It, it kind of started um, with the bank track and then it moved to flat track because bank tracks are like super expensive and they're like, you know, just super difficult to maintain and you can't do anything else on it. Um, so they moved okay. to flat track roller Derby and it was definitely like chick power, awesome, like black and hot pink, let's do this. Um, and now it's kind of moved towards being a little bit more athletic and more of an actual sport. I think roller derby is trying to be recognized as 
um, a sport rather than like a punch girls in the face thing. And so they move right. kind of away from like the black and pink type of colors and they're moving more towards athletic colors. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily think that that's good or bad. I think they're just trying to put off um, a different persona now, um, you know, rather than... Well, that's kind of interesting, yeah. though, because I guess it's one thing, I don't know, do you see, because I know you said you feel one way or the other about it, where I could definitely see where making it more of an athletic, I guess, very base colors, I guess to the outsider, may make it look like it's more professional, but I don't know. Part of me kind of wishes that's kind of wasn't the case, where it can kind of keep some of, you know, the interesting color schemes, because to me, I think that's kind of what makes it more interesting than, let's say, like, you know, uh, let's say a football or even like a soccer uniform. Yeah, I think so, too. I definitely find um, uniforms that are more catered towards um, being athletic to be just, like, a little bit less fun. Um but I, I think the, the balance with it is that, like, your travel team, so, like, you know, most leagues have two teams. You know, they have, like, their home teams, which is, like, our parents in the town. Like, they all come watch us. And that's more like your fishnets and booty shorts kind of thing. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah, and then the, um, the travel team is, like, the team, it's, like, your best players, and that's what you're doing to play for rank. Like, you want to be ranked higher than the other teams. So it's, like, sanctioned bouts. Um, you know, it's it's a bigger deal. And most people, um, like, don't come to those as often because usually you do it in tournaments. Because there are, like, 200 leagues in the U.S., like, we don't have... Holy crap, yeah, really? Like the, actually, I think there are 300 now. Um, but, yeah, there's there's quite a bit. And so you have to play like about each quarter and what a lot of people do to kind of make their ranking a little bit more um, solid is they'll go to a tournament and they'll play like three bouts in a weekend and then they'll do that the next quarter and then the next quarter. So, um, so, you know, like, like your travel team is a little bit more professional because you don't really have the kind of crowd um, that you do for like a home bout. It makes a little bit more sense. now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely, interesting to kind of see the two um schools of thought like we we have roller derby names and so mine is the original skankster uh, <laughs> you know right <laughs> I know. that is actually pretty badass um but a lot of teams for their Woofsida sanctioned bouts sorry Woofsida is the women's flat track derby association i should really think about what i'm saying but um but for, like, the sanctioned bouts, a lot of people have been using their last names rather than the derby name because they kind of want to legitimize, legitimize the sport a little bit more. Um, and so it's it's just kind of like you have that, that fun, dramatic derby, um, and then you kind of have that more, like, athletic, serious um, derby. So it's it, we're definitely kind of playing with those two those two schools of thought, like, all the time. So, as far as the comic book end of things, I guess, what were your influences? Like, at what point, I mean, I guess what we're saying is, the one thing I was, like, doing when talking to my guests is trying to figure out where, I guess, their love of comic books, or even, let's say, geek culture in general, like, where it all starts, because some of the stories can get pretty awesome. So, I guess, as a young Mariah, or maybe, uh, you know, fairly recently, like, where did your love of comics come from? Um, You know, I actually don't even remember the first comic I picked up, which is too bad. Um, but I, I mean, I read my first comic maybe when I was like, like 22 or something or 21, like not, 
not when I was, you know, like eight years old or 10 years old. Um, I'd always kind of want, like I'd always kind of doodled um, in high school and, and that kind of thing. But I was actually like a choir nerd and I was like, I'm going to study opera and be like an amazing opera singer. Um, and I did study opera and it was awesome. Um, but I just found that it wasn't actually what I wanted to do for a living. Um, and so I was like, what am I going to do? And I had, you know, like my huge, you know, crisis of like, what do I change my major to? Like, where is my life going? Who am I? Um, you know, as one does when they're young, um, yeah, so. <laughs> I, I think everybody has one of those. I mean, at some point in their life, even you know, even if they're older or not. I think I think you're honestly just kind of reconciling like your kid self with your adult self, and you're also like reconciling what your parents have kind of um, like expected you to do or encouraged you to do, and that's kind of like your wake up call of no, really, who am I? I can choose. Like, I can choose whoever I want to be, whatever I want to do, um, you know, and that's kind of, like, everybody's, you know, I guess, come to adulthood. Um, but I I ended up changing my major to um, art while I was at the University of Northern Colorado, but I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do with it. I was like, do I want to do graphic design? You know, do I want to do illustration? You know, like, what am I going to do? Um then I um, I married my husband, and I was like, hey, I still don't know what I want to do, so I'm just, like, not going to go to school. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like, I'm just going to work and, you know, just kind of figure it out in the meantime. And he was like, okay, cool. Whenever you want to go back to school, like, you know, you can go back. Um, and so I went back when I was, like, 25, and um, I majored in studio drawing, and I was like, yeah, I want to do comic books for a living. Um so, yeah, in between when I was, like, 21 and 25, that's when I decided, like, yeah, okay, comic books, that's it, that's what I'm doing, and, like, I totally fell in love with it. I love the, I love that it's a sequential art form, um, because I've always kind of um, created art that tells a story. It may not have been sequential, but, like, whenever I would make a piece, like, I would formulate the story in my mind of, like, what I wanted it to say and, like, what I wanted people to grab from it. So I, I kind of started doing it in my head already. Um, yeah, so I, I went back to CSU, um, and I did studio drawing. Uh, it was actually kind of tough because um, all of my art professors, like, were not into comic books. Um Wait, how is that even possible? Like, don't oh, don't tell me they're like those stuffy suit types who have yet to reconcile the fact that comic books can actually be a very serious medium. You know, it it was kind of like this is a fine art um, study, and like we don't do commercial things here, or like this low form of like illustration. It was it was totally crazy, um, and I was like, cool. Well, I'm still gonna get my degree, <laughs> so. <laughs> um, it's like, well, first off, go screw yourself. Second yeah, of all, like, you're my teacher. Deal with it. And um, yeah, I had a lot of push for my professors to do more fine art, and it just wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, I remember my one of my art teachers got like a little snarky with me one day, and because I was like, hey, I'd really like some feedback. You know, like this is this is what I'm doing this next six weeks. Like this is my project. You know, and you like present it and you know do all that stuff and. Um, I was like, hey, I'd really like some feedback. And he was like, well, I don't know if I really have any feedback for you because I don't really know anything about comic books. 
And I was like, cool, <laughs> well, maybe you should pick one up because you're an art teacher and this is your job. Like, <laughs> like it was just so, it was, yeah, it was just kind of like frustrating. Like it, it's, it's a form of art. Like when you educate yourself on it, um, like I'm sure a lot of the knowledge that you already have will correlate. So like, why don't you just become a little familiar? I'll bring a comic book for you. You know, it was, I don't know. It was just, it was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I guess they're all set in their ways. And I know even recently, a lot of people still have yet to realize that comic books aren't just about, you know, capes and tights and that kind of thing, where every so often when a comic book gets, I guess, maybe pushed a little bit more into the mainstream and they realize it's not that, it's always like this big sort of affair where they're like, oh man, I didn't realize comic books like this existed. It's like, yeah, well, you never took time to look. Yeah, and, and even so, even if comic books are just about capes and tights, um, like, comic books, graphic novels, and all other forms of art, they reflect us. Like, they reflect our lives. Like, they reflect our reality. So even when you read a story about Superman, I mean, it's it's still reflective of us as a society. So so why, would, why wouldn't you think that that's valuable? Why wouldn't you think that that's art? I don't know. Some people are just, I don't, I don't know. It's just very weird. And I don't know if it's maybe they're just traditionalists where, of course, you know, years ago, no one ever thought that this would ever kind of hold any weight, which is strange because even early days of comics, clearly they were, they were pretty, I, I would say serious business in the sense of, I mean, a lot of the stories they told reflected the times in and of themselves, much like, you know, Captain America punching out Hitler or, you know, Wonder Woman fighting Nazis or what have you. So clearly this medium had, you know, obviously its basis in pop culture or at least in history in and of itself. So uh, I don't know why that got changed at some point. It's, it's very baffling and it's kind of sad that there's still that mentality. Yeah. And it's, um, it's definitely, definitely morphed over time. Um, I mean, it, it kind of started as more of like a, like a patriotic, I don't want to say propaganda, but like, but like that. In that a way kind it of kind thing. of is. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely changed over time, but, um, I, I, my dad is kind of, is kind of like that, where, um, I told him that I wanted to do, you know, comic books for a living, you know, you know, a few years ago, and he was like, oh, like, in the paper? How awesome. Um, and, like, and, like, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with comics in the paper, but it does kind of point to, um, kind of like that old school way of thinking, where, like, people still read the paper like you you can kind of tell my dad's age just by you know that comment because like nobody really reads the paper anymore um we definitely can but we, we normally just read articles you know online and so like the online paper doesn't have like the comic book section uh, oh you mean you don't like you know like use your uh, your scroll wheel and just frantically scroll down to find the uh latest strip of get fuzzy <laughs> get fuzzy <laughs> No, I uh, I don't. Uh, maybe I'm missing out. <laughs> oh, then you're clearly doing life wrong. Then. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Do you see yourself then, I guess, expanding or um, to other comics or other, like maybe working with somebody else? Or are you pretty content with just, I guess, working with Flat Track Furies for a while? You know, I'm really excited to work on Flat Track Furies for a while. Um, I, I don't think one issue, like, makes makes you like a like an established artist in that story. Um, I definitely set it up so that I could, I could 
do multiple issues of it. Um, honestly, I really want this to kind of be a comic um, that women women can can really grab and and really sink their teeth into. Um, with Flashback Furies, like I specifically made all my characters female because I wanted I wanted women to pick it up and be like, oh my gosh, great, a comic just for me. You know, like a comic just for me, and I wanted to teach them that, you know, their voices and their stories are important. Um, I went to a, a recent con, and um, it was like the first con I've ever done. It was super cool. Um, and I had like my pink and black table, and, you know, nobody else had like as much pink as I did at all. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, and my husband said that he, he kind of saw some like hardcore comic guys like walk by and kind of like scoff at it a little bit like ugh, you know like pink pink what is this pink garbage here um I didn't notice it because I was too busy you know being completely excited uh, <laughs> but uh, well that's probably the better course of action so that way you didn't you know try to like glove all these idiots for you know sneering at your work I mean I assume that that some people will sneer at it just because it like isn't their thing um, and that's okay. You know, like, that's, I mean, I'm not going to be, like, offended. I'll probably go home and, like, cry about it, that somebody didn't like it. Uh-huh. But, you know, I'm not going to be like, how dare you? You know, like, there's art, you know, out, out there that I, you know, that isn't my jam. Um, but I definitely found that a lot of women would, like, look around, see my table, and then come to my table. And I think it's because, um, you know, instead of, instead of having to fight to be accepted into being interested. That sounded like a really weird sentence, but bear with me. Um, instead of having okay. to like fight to be accepted, to be interested in like, you know, X-Men or Superman or Batman or, um, you know, any of like the big stories out there, like the flash, um, they felt like there was a comic that, that they could just go up and just grab. And it was like for them, it was like, Oh, cool. Like, the women's section of this, of this Comic-Con, you know, like they, they could go <laughs> in and just like totally feel accepted at this table and just be like, yes, give it, like, give that to me. Like, I know I'm going to like that. And so that was really cool to see. Um, and I saw like a lot of young girls really like it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about having a comic that will empower women and will be kind of a specific part um of the comic book industry where where women feel like it's specifically catered towards them instead of like oh there's a female four now or you know there's there's a female and um, there's like a um like a muslim miss marvel you know it's like they instead of changing characters in order to cater to women it's like this character was specifically created for you right and there's something to be said about that because unfortunately growing up i mean obviously you had you know the falcon or black panther but even just in speaking, there aren't too many, as far as I'm talking like majors, mind you, which, I mean, I'm sure I'll probably have someone tweet and debunk this, but feel free yeah. to. But, you know, there weren't too many, you know, black superheroes that you can really say that, you know, I was able to kind of look at and say, hey, you know, these guys are pretty cool. And occasionally when they were done, it was done in a way where it was almost a little pandering, I hate to say. I mean, thankfully it's gone since then, but I understand, I kind of get what you're saying as far as, yes, you have... You know, superheroes, like I said, your Ms. Marvel or Thor, who are female. But to actually pick up a book and say, hey, you know what? 
this is something like that reflects, you know, me in some way. And that's kind of what drew me to your book, which again, I'm like, I'm not female, nor do I, you know, play roller derby, but you get that vibe that obviously this was made with a specific, I hate to use the word agenda, because unfortunately that always seems like it's a little, <laughs> the connotation gets very weird on that, but you know what I mean? But it has a specific, I guess, purpose. Yeah. yeah. And, and then of course with the message on front, I'm like, you know what, badass, rock on, because I don't think you get a lot of that. And thankfully, I think what's happening now is we're starting to see that shift towards people who are now willing to, I guess, access or find, hopefully find access to comics that, I guess, reflect more of their personalities and what have you. And while there is that unfortunate shift where, I guess, people who normally would read this thing are feeling like, you know, all of a sudden their clubhouse is being shaken down. But it's like, you know what, let's just open these doors. Let's just bring everybody in because that's really what it's all about, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, the comic industry has definitely been really exclusive. um, And now it's becoming more inclusive, which is really nice. Um, But you do definitely have um, a lot of people that, um, they, you know, feel as if like something is being taken away from them. And so they're like punching down, you know, they like don't want, you know, people to, to come and invade their special place. Um, I, I kind of think that, um, for a while, you know, co- like liking comic books and, um, you know, participating in that world, like it really was considered like nerdy and geeky. And I think a lot of people who were like social outcasts really, um, really were drawn to comics. Um, and so I think that now it's changing, obviously, you know, because we have, you know, these major motion pictures, people are really starting to like comic books that have never liked comic books before. And I think these, these people that have been involved with comics for so long, you know, kind of, kind of feel like, Oh, well I was here first. And you know, like you don't get to talk about how much of a fan you are, um, you know, because I've been around here for longer. Um, and so I, I, I get why they feel that way, but if they felt excluded, um, like in any part of their life, then they should understand why it's so important to be inclusive to anybody coming in. You know what I mean? Like, like they should understand that, that being accepting of other people who are excited about the same things that they're excited about, um, is really, really important. Um, so yeah, it it definitely is changing. Um, I think we are, we are seeing the industry and I think the fans will follow, but we are seeing the industry. Um, like, okay. So, so last week, um, you know, the, they have the Joker variant cover. Um, Oh yeah. And, um, you know, it, 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 it wasn't, um, I heard a lot of people debate about, you know, whether it did, um, kind of allude to, you know, sexual abuse or um, something like that. And some people were like, no, it's fine. Like, why is everybody freaking out? Um, but I found that a lot of women were like, wow, this cover made me really uncomfortable. And so Raphael Albuquerque, who is like a total class act, he's awesome, was like, hey, it made you uncomfortable. I'm really sorry. I'm going to pull it. And DC was like, yeah, let's pull it. Let's do the right thing. Um, and so it, I mean, whether or not, you you could say that it alluded to that. Like the bottom line is that it made women uncomfortable and they absolutely catered to that, which is fantastic. So the industry is absolutely changing. And I think the fans will will change in time. Yeah, it's it's definitely and I guess this is a, a, a it's a fantastic time, but I guess there's still a, a ways to go. Yeah. 
And especially as far as that issue goes, um, I guess it kind of teetered back and forth because I definitely could see, you know, where there was an issue here. But I guess part of me was a little bummed because I know all he got a lot of hate for it. And I don't think he necessarily meant for it to be, I guess, out of spite. But I, I don't know. It's just the, the Joker is always such a weird thing when it comes to that because I actually, me and my girlfriend had this whole discussion about, I guess, his relationship with Harley Quinn. And I'm like, you know what? Oof, this is, looking back, I'm like, wow, this is not very good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it was a little hard to, because we kind of even, even we were able to admit, of like, you know what? It's, it's not surprising, because, I mean, that character obviously would be that despicable to do that, but I guess and sometimes we kind of forgot, like, wow, he's uh, not exactly the most um, upright um, villain, I guess you can say. I know that sounds like a weird complaint, but, yeah, it was definitely a strange time, but it at least highlighted the fact that there are certain things that, while may be unintentional, but I guess there are certain things that, unfortunately, or even fortunately, you know, bring up issues that maybe we should address. It was definitely, like I said, the the image itself being controversial, but I guess it was the conversation that brought about in terms of, you know, what makes people, and especially in this case, women, uncomfortable in terms of you know, art or things like that. So, yeah, there's definitely this turning point where you're starting to see more of... It's You know, I guess what I'm getting at is it's going to be a rough couple of years in terms of, I guess, that weird struggle, like you're saying, between, you know, obviously exclusion versus inclusion. So hopefully at the end of all this, it'll come out where hopefully everybody can enjoy comics for what they are. Yeah. And I'm talking all different kinds, because believe me, there's some comics that I look at and I'll flip through and say... You know what? This is not for me, and I, I have to put it down. But I'm sure someone else will dig it. And as long as it's not anything overly hurtful, I'm like, you know what? I guess rock on, because I guess there's something for everybody. Yeah, I mean, and there's definitely, um, I mean, you you vote with your money in comics, right? So, uh, I mean, you vote with your money. Oh yeah, do you I ever? A lot of things. So, I mean, if if nobody buys that comic, then that artist or that writer knows that, like, you know, maybe it did make somebody uncomfortable or it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that the public wanted. Um, so, I mean, I'm really hoping that, that flat track fairies will do well because it's about empowering women. Um, my friend gave a copy to her son, Parker and Parker is like, you know, 10 years old. Um, and he okay. loved it. And at first he was like, why'd you give me this pink thing? Like, what is this? <laughs> um, and then he read it and he was like, when are you coming out with the second one? So, so I'm really just hoping that people will, you know, get, get past the pink and, and, you know, pick up a copy. Um, but it's, it's definitely, it's definitely been really cool to, to get responses from, from young women and women, um, just about how much they they liked it, or how much you know their teenage daughter liked it. It's just it's been really cool. Which, by the way, you won quote of the day. Um, obviously, this will be posted a couple of weeks from now, but they we recorded. Um, you had responded to one of my tweets about um Rogue and the Ixon movie, and I'm still laughing about <laughs> that. Yeah. Which hold on, I gotta pull this up because um, it's not gonna work without the. I had basically made a um. A, a t- I had basically tweeted saying that I kind of, you know, was hoping that maybe with all the characters, because I think it was recently Jennifer Lawrence, um, just today, announced that uh, the next um, X-Men movie is going to be the last time she's playing Mystique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I had, I had tweeted saying it'd be best if Fox, you know, made an X-Men movie that didn't feature the same five characters since, like, you know, for the last 15 years, and your response was great. It, was, it would be great if they could make an X-Men movie where Rogue isn't a complete idiot. <laughs> 
Seriously. <laughs> yeah, they like they strip her of like all of her inner strength, I feel like. You know, Rogue is this is this character that, that struggles a lot and she always ends up coming out on top because she is she's strong enough to do so, you know? She she just has this tenacity and I, I feel like with with the rogue that they created in X-Men, they were like, okay, well, we need a rogue, and, you know, she'll have, like, a few lines, and, like, whatever. I don't know. She just, like, she would have, I don't feel like she, the real rogue would have ever given up her powers, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. No, I, um, that was recently on TV. I think that was, what, the third X-Men would have mm-hmm. happened? And it was an interesting plot line, which, of course, I've noticed in the last few X-Men movies that rogue is featured, her plots get dropped dramatically. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was it was an interesting story because here you have a character who unfortunately cannot, you know, touch someone. I mean, direct skin t- contact without, you know, a lot of problems mm-hmm. happening. So then I, I can understand, especially being a young girl or, you know, an adolescent, that could be very difficult. So, I mean, okay, and here in this movie, they're like, oh, well, we have this cure um, uh, that can take away your mutant abilities. And you'd imagine that'd be a great storyline for a movie of having a character who would struggle with the concept of, okay, on this end, you know, I could maybe finally do the thing I always wanted to do, but at the risk of losing my, you know, mutant powers, which in a way, obviously, like, well, most of the X-Men, you feel like there's at least a certain level of being a mutant. Yeah, and I feel like she, she gets into situations a lot where, like, maybe she... Like, she does view her powers as a curse, but, like, she always ends up doing the right thing. Right, right, exactly. And, like, protecting people with those powers. So it's it's definitely something that she struggles with. Um, but, yeah, I just I, I just kind of feel like they they made her, like, vanilla pudding. Like, she just had, she had, like, no, none of her, like, rogue tenacity, which was, was kind of too bad. Yeah, none of the Sun Charm, too, which is kind of, I know that's a very nitpicky thing, no, but... And I don't know who I blame necessarily, because, I mean, I try not to, like, you know, throw stones at Anna Paquin. But I don't know whose idea was it to, like, okay, we'll take one of the strongest characters in X-Men, and we will kind of dilute her to, like, base-level sentimentality. Like, oh, this is unfortunate. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like she doesn't even, she has, she has these glimpses where she's, like, Yes, you know, I'm going to I'm going to do the right thing and save everyone, but honestly, I feel like most of the time she just worries about her boyfriend and like that's that's the plot that they gave Rogue. Um in the movies is like, but well, what about my boyfriend? I don't know. I definitely had a, a real huge beef with a lot of the portrayal of the women in the X-Men movies. Especially Storm. That one was a killer for me. And again, I I guess maybe my issue was I Never was um, even considered Holly Berry for the role, but I figured here's a woman who, you know, reading the comics, like, you know, she was like, you know, a thief for a while. She was a goddess. You know, she had all these great things. And hell, she ran the Morlocks for a time being. And I just, for some reason, it's just, I feel like they never really did the character justice. Like, I, I felt like the a character who's normally, you know, demands your presence very very background <laughs> yeah i mean storm storm was definitely compassionate in the movies um i think she was probably well they got that part yeah, across but like she wasn't she not come off like a warrior um you know like she storm is just like i don't know like she walks in a room and it's like get out of her way and you know, i, I didn't yes. get that from the movies at all 
it's like you know she she she's very you know nurturing you know she she will help you but honestly when it's time to throw down uh yeah she's she's a little scary yeah absolutely yeah i mean here's a woman who's ripped hearts out (laughs) (laughs) several times actually (laughs) yeah it's i mean it's definitely it's definitely a trade-off because i'm sure there are a lot of moving parts um you know in the movies and you know we're finding that a lot with um you know new movies that are coming out is you can't really make everything perfect um but I, I think maybe the reason why they kind of went down that path with the first... I mean, the, the X-Men movie was, like, one of the first superhero movies to be made, right? Right. Yeah, I think there was that. I know Blade was a couple years before yeah, that. Yeah, Daredevil, which... but it was, like... Oh. I mean, I, I, I just kind of think that maybe the... I mean, it was the first movie, um, like, the you know, like, the really big Marvel one, I think. And so they were kind of, like you know, still trying to, I think they wanted to get the movie out um, rather than really take the time to make sure that it was, you know, really an X-Men movie. And I think now Marvel has kind of found its footing, um, you know, and, and how they, and how they make movies. And so I think if they were to, I'm, I'm really hoping that X-Men apocalypse will be like really, really great. But, um, but yeah, I don't know if I've actually been all that impressed by, by the X-Men movies in general. No, I look back at certain parts, like, I'll always, I'll always love, love, love dearly the the White House scene and I think it's the second X-Men movie or Nightcrawler. Oh, yeah. Because that, excuse me, that pretty much, you know, it was, it was classic Nightcrawler. He did the very thing that we all know and love him for. And, I mean, honestly, they, there's, it's, it's a movie, so there's liberties taken with the character and that's fine. But as far as um, as far as power usage and just overall presence, it worked. But I guess my issue with the X Men movies is, you like you said, like I understand why they did it when they made the first one because obviously this is like the first big to do. They didn't really have, I guess, the confidence or the ability to do a lot of things that maybe they set out. But it's fifteen years later, and there has never there hasn't been very huge changes. Like we're still kind of playing to that very first movie, which in a way hasn't very aged has an age for yeah well. absolutely um i definitely watched the most recent one and thought like really like this is this is all we got i don't know i it 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 felt a little stale i think maybe a little yeah, bit yeah but um of course i'm still gonna watch every single one of them you know Oh, you have yeah. to. It's just like, you know <laughs> We'd be morally remiss as comic book fans to not see these movies, even if we sit there and pick them apart. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I've definitely tried to be a little bit more forgiving, um, just because, I mean, Hollywood is an animal that, like, I, I don't know of. Like, I don't know what the process is. I don't know, um, like, what kind of data that they use in order to make sure that this will be something that everybody enjoys, you know? I don't know really what, the, like, I don't know what decisions the producers are making um so I've, I've, I've tried to be you know a little bit more forgiving about um about that kind of thing but it's i, I think it's okay to enjoy something and and also be critical of it you know at the same time right because then you have a character let's say like you know black widow and the avenger movies versus like say versus rogue or even let's say kitty pride who i will say though ellen page casting as kitty pride is spot on yeah i totally agree 
I just felt like they, they, with the exception of that one scene where she's being chased by, like, Juggernaut or somehow sending people back in time, never really had a whole lot to do. It's very unfortunate. Yeah, I, um, I recently read The, the Death of Wolverine, um, and I really liked how they portrayed Kitty Pride in that one. Um, I, I mean, it really wasn't her, you know? It, you know, it just looked like her. Um, I mean, somebody was, like, possessing her body, but... Um, yeah. Oh, okay, because I hadn't read it, so I'm like, wait a minute, what oh, do you mean it's not Never mind, oh. new topic, new question. Oh, no, 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 please, oh, please, I, I'm going to read it anyway. I'm not huge on spoilers as far as that book goes anyway. Uh, I mean, I was just going to say that, like, I really liked how, how they portrayed her. Um, you know, I just, I thought it was, I mean, she was really, you know, compassionate and wanted, like, the best for Logan, and um, yeah, I just, I, yeah, it was just good. Whatever. Okay. Blah, blah. Oh, see, now I feel bad. Now I should I should have remembered that I didn't read it. That's okay, because I, to tell you the truth, like, I don't know about you, where it lies for you, but me, I'm X-Men through and through. Like, years before I read any Avengers, X-Men were my, were my thing. So, trust me, like, I'll, eventually I'll get around to reading it, even if I know all the ins and outs. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, I don't mind spoilers either. Um, honestly. But... Yeah, I haven't I haven't read as much X Men as I would I would like to. Um, I don't know. I I kind of like a bunch of different different things. I don't really like to get stuck in one in one saga. Perhaps. Um, yeah, I really like to just read a bunch of different stuff. I really love indie comics. So, actually, what are you reading right now? Just out of curiosity. So the comics I picked up a comic um, when I was in Seattle. Um, I was at the Pike Place Market, and, you know, there's, like, that comic book shop in there. Um, and I picked it up. It's called Deadly Class, and it's by... It's just kind of... It's by Rick Remender, Wes Craig. Um, and, like, it's it's about pretty much, like, the offspring of, like, mafia heads and assassins. Um, and these children all go to school together and, like, learn how to kill people. Um yeah, it's like it's like kind of intense and it's like really violent. So um, <laughs> I'm I'm still kind of enjoying it though, and I kind of want to see um, you know just what happens with with this guy. Um, he's kind of like the outcast of all the outcasts, and um, he definitely has like a mental block of some sort. I'm not sure he's all there, but he's the main character, and so like. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think all of them are all there, if you really want to get down to breast. Yeah, I think he, he might be, like, I don't want to say schizophrenic, but um, he definitely is, his thought process is, he's very paranoid. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm reading that one right now, and I'm liking it so far. Um, one of my all-time favorite comics is actually The Umbrella Academy. You know, that's a book I... I don't know why I kept putting it off because I guess around the time when that book came out was roughly around the time when, you know, my chemical romance was huge and you know, Gerard Way was like, you know, anything he did was just like, it was gold. But I had heard like, it got like a lot of really good reviews and people kept talking about it. And I feel like such a jerk for not picking it up, but I hear it's fantastic. You should feel like a jerk because it is fantastic. <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, it's, it's just really cool um gabriel ba is the one that draws it and i love the way that he draws he draws so weird and like i just love it i don't know his his forms are very like hard he has very like hard type of bodies if that makes any sense like they're kind of pointy but i like it 
Um, and yeah, it's, it's actually just kind of like a, a beautiful story. Um, it's, it's really like cute and grown up at the same time. If that makes any sense. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, I love the walking dead. Um, cause it's the walking dead. And, um, I really like lock and key. I haven't read the most recent, um, I definitely like Lock and Key, and I think my all-time most favorite, like, saga is American Vampire. I read a few issues of that, like, when it started. That one was a lot of fun. It's awesome! It's It kind of, like, sucks because, like, I'm just a huge fan of Raphael Albuquerque's art, and so every once in a while they'll come out with an issue that has, like, six different artists in it, and I don't like any of them as much as I like him. Um, so yeah, I just get like really bummed out cause I'm like, oh man, I thought it was going to be like, you know, a hundred pages of pure Raphael Albuquerque bliss. And then, and then it isn't. And that kind of bumps me out. But, um, but I love, I love the story that they started with it. Um, I love where they go with it. I love how each book is kind of like a new decade, but they also go back in time to tell stories. And it's just, it's fantastic. I think it's probably one of the most well-done series. Um, but I just, you know, wish that he drew the whole thing. <laughs> He's like really busy though. <laughs> sure. I was going to say, and poor guy, like especially like lately, I'm sure he's probably had like a lot of, uh, Lot on his plate with everything going on. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, I mean, which I hope blows over for him because again, like he's a really awesome artist, and I, I hope because I know there are some people, and I hate to bring it back up, though. I know there are some people who are like sending up threats and all. Are you serious? Like, yeah, I I don't know if it, how much of it he received though, but there was at least I did hear there was were some people who kind of. Took the criticism a little too far, which has a tendency to happen. Sadly, it's the internet, so it's just it's almost expected. I now. thought that he, um, I thought that he had tweeted like just to be sure. I didn't like just to make it clear I didn't receive any threats, but I like don't know anymore. Yeah, I don't know. Like it's just weird because I unfortunately I don't know who to believe and who not to believe. But, I mean, if he's saying he hasn't received them, then obviously it's like he would have no reason to lie about that sort of thing. Oh, my thing. gosh. He's off Twitter now. Is he? Oh, real? Oh, I don't boy. see him on Twitter. I'm, like, searching for him. Yeah, I'm not seeing it. That sucks because, like, I think as an artist you should be able to – I mean, like, he did the responsible thing. He was like, oh, crap, I didn't know it would make you uncomfortable. Shoot, like, let's pull it. You know, like, he, he absolutely, like, did the right thing when it comes to that creative process, and it sucks that, like – he would he would be you know reamed for it man yeah i don't know yeah i don't i don't see him on twitter so oh that's unfortunate yeah it definitely is um i mean there's definitely been a lot of um talk about sexism in comics recently like um like jason um sorry j scott campbell um also kind of like got a lot of flack. He commented on the um the Wonder Woman costume, the new Wonder Woman costume. Oh, the 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 new one where it has like the armor. Yeah, and it everything. has like the shoulder armor, and he was like, I think women look better without the shoulder armor. Um, you know, and he was just kind of like talking about how, um, essentially talking about like why he draws women the way that he draws. And I know that a lot of people don't like the way that he draws because a lot of his women are kind of portrayed as a little bit more sex kitten than um than 
Oh, uh, was he the one whom, and I hope I'm not misquoting him, but I know there was someone who basically had, you know, said that I guess he didn't like it because I guess it wasn't sexy enough. Was that, I don't know, um, there was somebody who... He, he, it might have been interpreted that way. I think he kind of said it like, hey, like, women don't really good, look good in shoulder pads. Um, and it's because it kind of, like, takes their femininity away. And I think um, someone, some women were upset about that because they were like, we should just draw... Like it's okay to draw Wonder Woman as like a warrior. Like we're it. It just kind of it kind of like escalated from nothing. Like it was it was such a, I don't know. It was just weird. But he's gotten a lot of flack recently for um, you know just drawing just drawing women a little bit more sexy than than people are um, comfortable with. Okay, no, Ralph, Raphael Albuquerque is still on Twitter. Okay, I just found it. Okay. Now, I guess let me ask you this then. Because, um, again, I know, obviously, being an artist yourself, I know there was a lot of um, discussion online, of course, with everything going on. Is it, because I, I know that some feel that it's really up to the consumer to then figure out whether or not they want to, I guess, patronize this art or what have you. But, um, I don't know, do you think, just playing devil's advocate, do you think there's an issue where you could say that maybe it's not necessarily, you know, because like each artist has their own style. So can you, I guess, then at that point, I mean, obviously if he's making statements that might be a little unfortunate, but can you really then just go after an artist because of a particular way they draw? Um, I don't know. I think it's, it's definitely a hard question to answer because, you know, each circumstance is going to be different. Um, I absolutely think that, um, that that there are artists there artists out there who are definitely like definitely sexist in their drawings and i'm not saying sexist um like in the obvious way but like a lot of artists will draw um kind of like sex pot characters and it it's like it seems very obvious to me that are just like fulfilling their male fantasy of like drawing this woman this way um and, and what I was saying with, with people voting with their money is that I hope people will vote with their money and that will change the way that the industry makes comics. Um, but I, I would definitely like to see artists be a little bit more thoughtful about how they draw men and how they draw women and um, be a little bit more thoughtful about about whether or not they actually are drawing their female characters like those like those sexy characters. Um, there's a, there's nothing wrong with a sexy character and that's where you kind of come into the issue. Um, but I think a lot of times um, it, I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? It's hard to. <laughs> right. It's yeah, it's a very interesting. And I, I guess this is like, I don't, I don't mean to necessarily put you on the spot though, but I guess this is something that in, in turn, I'm kind of struggling with myself because as someone who, I guess, who writes, I mean, granted, I don't draw, you know, it, it is kind of a bummer where, honestly, you do have a responsibility, but at the same time, I guess it's like, well, we're, you know, we're drawing a line from expression to then also becoming very, I guess, hurtful, for lack of a better term. So there's, there's definitely a, a weird line there that it's going to be interesting to see where this comes, you know, from here on in, because obviously, with the, let's say, the Raphael Albuquerque thing, he, and I guess, figured, well, you know what, this... You know, you don't want it to necessarily make it a, a, a problem more than, I guess, they figured it already was, so they pulled it. Because I know there are some who argued that, you know, oh, they were stifling, you know, expression and things like that. So, 
I don't know. At one point, I'm, I guess in, in a lot of these scenarios, there's someone who's going to be, I guess, disappointed by the outcome. But wow, it's, it's going to be uh, pretty interesting uh, going in. Yeah, and I think I think DC kind of has a little bit more to lose, um, you know, when something like that happens. Um, I think- yeah, they haven't had a very good track record. I know there's been a lot of flack, and it seems like it comes from a lot from their end. I mean, I know Marvel has their share too, especially I know there was the whole issue with the uh, the Spider Woman cover. You know, several months ago. Um, I don't necessarily know about that one. Um, but yeah, it's. I think that. I think that the reason why they pulled it is not because. I mean, the sexy characters—they will always exist. They're never going to go away. You know, we aren't going to like wake up one morning and like there are no more sexy female characters being written or drawn. Like, it's it's never going to happen. Um, I think what what the public, or at least what females are are really asking for, is um, is just to be a little bit more thoughtful and not not treat their female characters like they're kind of just objects. Um, right. And I, I think. Which is probably a better way to phrase it. Yeah, that. I, th- I think th- I think the reason why why DC pulled it, and I totally agree with it, is just because it it was very like it reminded women of sexual violence, which is definitely different than a sexy character. Um, I mean, on the on the scale, like sexual violence towards women is like the high of the bad scale, um, and I think if it was just a sexy character. Um, I mean, it, I don't think that women really would have freaked out about it the way that, the way that they did. It was just, it was like so incredibly, you know, uncomfortable, um, because of the connotations that it had. So, um, I don't know. I mean, that's, I I mean, long story short, the sexy characters will always exist and there isn't necessarily anything wrong with that. Um, but I, I think the reason why it's, it's hard to put up with is because a lot of characters are sexy and they're very one dimensional at the same time. Yeah. So if they were multi-dimensional, you know, but still had that sexiness, I think we've hit a good spot. Um, because it's either, you know, female characters are, are like the sidekick or the love interest, or they're described as a strong female character and the word strong is like the only word to describe them um when really you know when you think about superman and you think about batman um they are strong but there are many other adjectives that you can use to describe them um you know because they're so multi-dimensional we've seen a lot of sides to them so <laughs> which <laughs> it's funny when you said strong female characters you ever have i don't know if you ever um who was it? it was kate beaton and who else was it was it meredith grand where they had that series of comics, the strong female characters, kind of as a satire of those tropes. No, I haven't seen that. Who was it? Um, Kate Beaton. Um, she. Um, I know she's an artist. She did. Um, I know the most known for what was the uh, the web comic Hark of Vagrant. Um, I might. You know what? I'll have to send it to you when we're done with the show because I, I think you'll get a kick out of it because it's a really nice send up of those of those tropes. Yeah, yeah, I would really like to see that. Um, I know that Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon once was asked, you know, why do you continue, like, why do you write strong female characters as your leads? And he said, because you keep, you're still asking that question. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so, it was such a great answer. Gosh, it was so great. Um, I just love Joss Whedon, so um, it, was, it was really great to, 
to see that conversation. Shoot. Now you, now you mentioned weed, and I'm like, well, crap, we'll have to have you back on to talk more Joss Whedon stuff. Oh, no, we've opened up a can of worms, yep. I know, like, I have such an awesome love-hate with him, because it's like, I love you because you write some amazing stuff, and it's like, I hate you because you kill all the people I like. He kills all of your favorite characters. All of them. Wash? Why did Wash have to die? What was the purpose of this? I don't know. I, I'm still... That movie came out, what, ten years ago I'm still now? upset about it. I'm still angry, as if somewhere an answer's gonna be provided for me. Yeah, I, um... I recently... I recently uh. bought this uh, thing to go over my license plate that says "Wash as my co-pilot" because <laughs> I was I'm still upset about it. Like, I just you know what it was? It's such a and I, I feel like I'm sorry. Like I feel like we're running over time, but you know what? This needs to be addressed. Okay. Screw it. I feel like he died such an unceremonious death. Like you know, it's it's not like you know. Let's see in a a, a story where a character's. You know, dying, maybe, like, you know, sacrificing themselves to save somebody. You know, he pulls off this amazing aerial maneuver, saves everybody. And right now, things happen. And all of a sudden, whoop, spike to the chest. I'm like, wait, where'd that come from? No, that did not have to happen. Right, and that's why it feels so pointless. Is because, like, his death feels like it was for naught. You know, like, they didn't, they didn't get something from his death. He didn't, like, sacrifice himself so that something could happen. It was really just, like, a horrible, stupid accident. Right, like, for instance, if he was, you know, during the the shootout, you know, a couple of scenes later with the Reavers, or, you know, maybe there, or he leaves up behind where he goes to try to save Zoe's life, which would make a lot more sense and be a lot more symbolic that way, but nope, it's just a spike to the chest, like, hey, it's just whatever. And I think that's really what it is. It's not so much the fact that he died, I think it's how he died. Yeah, and maybe it's just a reminder to us from Joss Whedon, where he's like, yep, I can do whatever the I want like I don't, <laughs> I don't have to do anything you guys think I'm gonna do maybe maybe that was it or I don't know it's like I'm still reconciling you know Buffy's mom's death and that one was another like just weird one. oh yeah Paul Paul hates that Anya died he hates it um Anya from Buffy and I know that like she probably wasn't every she wasn't really like a main main character um, which is what probably why she was a little bit expendable, but like she's right. his favorite, and it's uh, yeah, it's just like a total, total bummer, you know. <laughs> and he brought Spike back, you know, for no good reason. Yeah, no. Part of me never did get my faith spinoff series. <laughs> yeah, okay. I I had a massive massacre, and not even necessarily Eliza Dushku, but just Eliza Dushku as Faith herself. I'm like, ugh. Yeah, no, she was amazing. She was definitely like, ugh, Faith is here, ugh. Like it's Eliza Dushku's character as Faith um, was really tough to like swallow because she was just so abrasive and like in your face i i kind of liked that about her a little bit but i also yeah it was so over the top but i think that's kind of was so yeah fair enough i i loved dollhouse i actually thought as much as i like elijah dushku i thought she was probably the worst part of that show um <laughs> because, like i haven't really got into dollhouse much i need to revisit you that. do because okay so the thing about dollhouse is that like it was was it two seasons or three seasons? I think it was only about two. I could be wrong. Don't quote me. Okay. Well, whatever. It It's kind of one of those shows where you knew. Like, I know that if Joss Whedon had had five or six seasons of that show, it would have been the most amazing show of all time. 
but he was absolutely you could definitely tell that he was rushed you know like he he was rushed in his ending and so he couldn't deliver it the way that he wanted to but gosh it would have been so beautiful victor and sierra man victor and sierra forever (laughs) whatever okay Damn it! See, if I knew you're that big a Joss Whedon fan, I would have started with that. I should have just asked you, like, all right, who do you love more than anybody else? Because now, <laughs> like, it might have to be like a two-part episode. Or I know I might just have to have you back on. I know it's it's totally nerd, fine. Right? Do you ever do ones with like multiple people where it's like you know three or four people? Yeah, I mean, I can. The more the merrier. Anyone you want to bring on, like, I'm willing to chat with anybody. I know that makes it sound terribly desperate, but I just have such a huge kick out of just you know having people on, just just talking, just talking shop. Why? Who do you have in mind? I don't think it sounds it's desperate. I think if you, you just sound like, cool, yeah, whatever. Like, let's just, yeah, let's just talk about it. Um, and especially if one of those people is Joss Whedon. I mean, sure. As <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll find him on Twitter and be like, hey, Joss, can you call my podcast on my friend's podcast? Um, yeah. He... <laughs> It'll be two hours of us trying to figure out why the hell he killed Watt. <laughs> The the funny part is, I actually think that, like, he might go on somebody's podcast at some point. Like, that might work once. You're like, hey, I hey, Josh, that. like, there's this podcast that I'm on. Like, do you want to go on it? And he'll be like, yeah, I'm not doing anything on Saturday. Sure. Like, I don't know. I feel like it could happen at least once to somebody. All right, let's get this done. Okay. You're my muse at this point. I'm, I'm I'm trusting you on this one. Go for I'll it. I'll send him all sorts of uh, weird emails and. Or just have Joss Whedon basically like I guess option a script for a Flat Track Furies movie. Hmm? Oh my gosh! Here, yes, this is what needs to happen. I need to get so successful that I can ask Joss Whedon to do things and help do them. Yeah, because I'm already in my head trying to figure out the cast for this movie, and this is sad that it's got to that point where like I read comics and I try to figure out who would play this character. If they decided to option this because you know every book's getting picked up now. We play this game all the time. Yeah. So why do you have do you actually have a dream cast for uh, your book? You know, I actually I actually haven't really thought about my comic book too much in terms of I mean like my dream would be if Flat Track Furies got picked up for like Saturday morning cartoons or something. Um, you know, some sort of like kid show. But um yeah, I try not to think about my comic book in terms of the movie because I don't want anything else to pollute it. And also, that will actually convince me that one day it will get made into a movie. And when that doesn't happen, I'll be devastated. So, <laughs> so I'm not gonna... That's actually a really interesting way to look at it. Good point. Yeah, I will say that um, that when I think of the unblinkable Molly Brown, um, the main girl with the braids, um, I usually think of Amber Heard. Do you know who she is? Yes, um, I know she was in tons of stuff. I, I for some reason all I can think is Pineapple Express. Oh, she was in Pineapple Express. Yeah, she played Seth Rogen's girlfriend. I know she's been in more stuff than that, but um, name association. Um, her, she, yeah, she was in. Um, probably her most famous one is The Rum Diary. She was the the lady. That's right, the Johnny Depp movie. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that how they met? I think that's actually how they met. Yeah, I think so. Through that movie. Yeah, and then she was in like a she's in like a bunch of horrible movies. That yeah, awesome. it's <laughs> like never back down. That's the worst movie I've ever seen. And I've seen oh wait, are those it. like that? Like that? Uh, the tournament fighting movie? Yeah, and I've seen it. I've seen it like like ten times. It's so bad. I don't. I don't know why I keep watching it. It's just like a modern take on what was the movies back in the eighties with the Eric Roberts' Best of the Best. 
With Eric Roberts? Yeah, was it best of the best? Like, there was just, like, obviously in the 80s, you know, after, like, you know, Bloodsport, there was all those movies of, like, just dudes, like, bare-knuckle brawling in, like, parking lots or in arenas. Best of the best. And I felt like... Never- yeah, martial artsy. Yep, Eric Roberts. I feel like... Like, I feel like uh, Never Back Down was just kind of, like, the modern version of that movie. Oh, my gosh. And it was so, like... It was just terrible. There's so many things about it. But, but, like, I really like terrible movies. So, like, the Fast and the Furious franchise, they're so bad. They're so bad. And I No, those them. are, like, my favorite series. No, no one's allowed to talk bad about the Fast and the Furious, right? Yeah, I, I love them. I love that series. And, like, it's... It's. I'm almost like ashamed about it. Uh, no, I think more people should just express their love because you know what it is. It's the best comic book movie without any superpowers whatsoever. It's the best comic book movie without an actual comic book. Yeah, like it's like I got the same weird jitters seeing the trailer for Furious Seven than I did for like Age of Ultron. <laughs> I'm like the fact that they're at that same level is a little sad for me, but I I couldn't help it. Oh my love gosh, it. Adrian, he drives. From one skyscraper to another skyscraper. That's, how how is anyone not excited oh about this? Oh my gosh! Because it's like I don't know. Like the first the first movie is like not a lot of cool car stuff. I mean, like it is, no. but it's like you know, it's about like driving cars really fast and like good driving, and they like steal to get by, and like I don't know. And like now it's just kind of like every movie has one up. So that it's now it's like a heist. It's like heist movies. It like originally started as car movies, and now it's like heist movies. Right. They just happen to have cars in them, and the fact that there's been seven of them and they're still doing well, like I that's outside of a horror movie. That's very unheard of. I it think. was it was like the biggest fluke of all time, right? Because the first one came out and like everybody loved it. The second one came out and it like it did okay, and then they did the third one, which nobody watched because it was. Hey, I actually like that one a lot. Well, Han is my favorite character, so I will watch the third one. <laughs> but I kind of wanted to like forget that it ever existed a little bit, and then but like the third one didn't do well at all. And then they were like, "Let's make a fourth one," like five years after the fact. And for some reason, it did super awesome. You know what I think actually helped them a lot. I mean, I have no backing on this, but I remember seeing a Tokyo Drift in theaters. And I remember a lot of people kind of really overly disliking the movie, but you could tell no one was really interested in what's going on. Okay. That last shot, um, what's I can't remember the name of the kid. The um, the Luke Luke kid. Yeah, yeah, Luke kid. Like the minute he pulls up and Vin Diesel. Oh my gosh, Pulls up next to him, the whole theater just went nuts. Like you would have thought that he was actually in the theater too, and everybody's like, "Oh shoot, it's Vin Diesel in the muscle car!" And I think for some reason that that convince the people like well you want to see more of these but you got to put Vin Diesel back in it yeah that that's so weird because yeah the whole movie is like I can't believe I'm watching like this kid with this terrible southern accent like you know the worst part is that's actually his accent really oh man you remember Sling Blade what you ever see Sling Blade no but the little kid in that movie that's him like that's actually like Okay, I'll look it up. He's, yeah, um, what the heck is his name? Lucas Black, I think is his name? Yeah, Lucas Black. And, like, yeah, when... Like, he's real deep south. Like, it's it's pretty terrible how crazy south he is. (laughs) 
it's nuts how like Vin Diesel rolls up into that muscle car and he is he says like like Han was never into America or like you know he's like who are you and he's like I'm Han's friend and he's like I don't know Han liked American muscle and then Vin Diesel with his deep perfect angel voice is like he was when he was rolling with me and you were like oh my gosh like it's like oh shit like gosh I do. Okay, yeah. you know what's gonna have to happen now. Yeah. Um, you do plan on seeing that in theaters, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm gonna make Paul take me. Absolutely. I was gonna say, um, when you do, like, you want to go back, come back on a show and review it. Yes. Okay. Yep. I'll watch. I'm gonna write this down. I'll watch one through six in preparation because I own all. Ooh, good call. I'm gonna have to do the same thing. Yeah, and then. All right. When does that come out? Um. If- I have it in my calendar. Hang on. <laughs> you have it on your calendar. That's amazing. I know. I have like Fast and Furious Seven comes out today. Um, let's see. Um, it's is it just called Fast Seven or is it like Fast and Furious Seven? It's like Furious Seven. Something weird. Like they'll just take bits and pieces of the other title because it's like Fast. Yeah, that's why it's so confusing. Is because they take yeah. Okay, it's it comes out on April third. Okay, that's right around the that corner. That is right around the corner. Yep, there it is. Fast and Furious 7 comes out. Okay. So that's what I'm going to do. I'll have to watch the other movies in preparation. And, I mean, obviously, it doesn't have to be, like, right after the fact. But, you know, somewhere around there, we will have to reconvene and then review this movie. Because knowing you're a big fan, I, I think you can probably enjoy it for what it's the ridiculous spec that it's going to be. I'm actually really excited to see Ronda Rousey in it. Um, cause she's, oh, she's in it? Yeah, she's in it. And her and... Oh, shoot. What's the... What's the girl's name? Michelle Rodriguez. They fight. <gasps> in, like, prom dresses. Why? Yes. Best day ever. Okay. All right. Now I really need to see this because, I mean, Ronda Rousey is awesome in general because it's, it's, I mean, we could be here all day talking about her. You can't even call them fights because normally fights are kind of, like, aren't one-sided. But <laughs> I watched her documentary um, on cable the other day and it's just like, wow, she's pretty hardcore. Yeah, she she's kind of like like I know that people some people think that she's like kind of mean, and I can understand why because that's kind of like the like the culture of of MMA, um, where you kind of like talk trash to like the other fighters and stuff. Um, but I just think she's like fantastic, and she's probably like one of the most badass people like alive. Yeah, I could okay. I'm definitely seeing this movie now. Yeah, it's on. Mariah, you've been absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for chatting with me. And again, we will have to reconvene and talk more weed and then definitely Fast and the Furious because I need to review this movie with somebody. So if you're down for it, I'm I'm in. I'm totally down for it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Adrian. No problem. And well, before you go, um, obviously I'm all about the uh, the shameless promotion. Where can a good people find you on the interwebs? Um, so the best place to find my comic is um, just flattrackfurious.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Mariah Pariah, and that's spelled M-O-R-I-A-H-P-A-R-I-A-H. And you can also like Flat Track Furies on Facebook as well. Awesome. And that will do it for Adrian Has Issues, um, and we will see you next issue.